Let's face it, we frontliners see the absolute worst of humanity more than we may like, definitely a lot more than the general population. And while I can certainly appreciate heading to the local, off-shift friendly drinking establishment after a particularly difficult night, I'd much rather cope with finding whatever humor I can in a bad situation. Trust me, it's better than having to call my adult daughter to pick me up from a bar at 9 o'clock in the morning because I can't, uh, find my keys. My name is Jennifer Cosgrove, and I've been a night shift nurse for close to two decades. I created Overnight Observations to not just celebrate and share the often extremely dark sense of humor many of us possess, but to really dig in and chat about how allowing ourselves to find levity in serious situations not only helps us cope in the moment, it's also been scientifically proven to be beneficial to our overall mental health and physical well-being. So grab a cup of lukewarm coffee and a cold slice of pizza, sit back and relax, but not too much, you'll get us all in trouble, and just observe. Hello there and welcome back. Overnight Observations, Diary of a Night Shift Nurse. Jen here, how are you? Not quite sure where you're tuning in from, but here in New England, we've been having a stretch of really non-summery weather. It's been rainy, it's been cool, it's been cloudy, it's been it's been more like early spring, I think, rather than, oh, end of July, August. Crazy. I've been catching up on my Netflix list of things that I've wanted to binge watch and One of the things that I happened upon was a documentary film called Dick Johnson is Dead. And talk about gal's humor, man. It's it's awesome. It's an Emmy-nominated documentary, and the Emmys are September 19th this year. So I'll be tuning in to see if this wins a statue, because it certainly deserves it, I think. I will try to explain a little bit of it. It's by a documentary filmmaker named Kirsten Johnson, and she's pretty much recording the last part of her father's life. As far as I know, spoiler alert, I don't believe Dick is dead yet. It's kind of like a flipping the Grim Reaper, the bird, while at the same time kind of letting him in on the joke. It's an interesting take on recording a family member's end of life celebration, I guess you'd call it. It's kind of what we'd all want to do. And well, how how do you think, how do you think I'm going to go between slipping and falling, air conditioners falling on your head, all kinds of crazy stuff that he's completely involved with and goes along with it pretty cheerfully. It's definitely an ode to her father, an ode to her history. She's spending time with her her dad, knowing what's inevitable, making a record of it, and how her dad feels about it, how she feels about it. It, It's it's really great. If you get a chance to watch it, it, it's time well spent. And especially if you Kind of like what this show's about. You'll really like this. It's dark. It's fun. It's beautiful. It's you might cry a little bit. I'm not going to say whether I did or I didn't, but yeah, I did. And it it was it was beautiful. I certainly hope the Emmy gods will be smiling on it because it's just a great take on something that we're, we all have to face at some point in life. A million thumbs up for Dick Johnson is dead. Check it out on Netflix. Movie recommendations aside, I know my last episode had a lot to do with would be medical experts. And how, uh, let's say, interesting a conversation can get. But what about the ones who actually have a medical degree or are on their way to one? Mansplaining, according to our friend Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is a verb which is used, quote, to explain something to a woman in a condescending way that assumes she has no knowledge about the topic, end quote. 
And this, I feel, reaches a whole new level when the splainer, as it were, is a colleague. Let me splain. I've had a few situations where, especially in my line of work, if a baby's born and has to go into Boston for more critical care, we do everything that we can do before the transport team gets there. Because if we know something's going on and the baby's going to need more than what we can do, we make the phone call to the transport team, one of the Boston hospitals, one of the many Boston hospitals that the baby can go to, figure out how to get them there and how long it's going to take. And while we're waiting for the team, we're doing what we need to do. We start IVs. If we have to put an umbilical line in, we will lab draws, antibiotics, medical history of the mother, et cetera, and so forth. If you ever had to get a person out somewhere in your line of work, you know what I'm talking about. About a week or so ago, we had a situation. Baby had to go into Boston. And when we called for transport, they said, oh, it's going to be about two and a half hours or so before the team gets there. Okay, so that was time we had to get everything done that we needed to do. The team shows up, and there's usually about four people, two EMTs, a nurse generally or a nurse practitioner, and a doctor. Well, every once in a while, you get a doc that questions everything that you've done. Why was that placed there? Why did you why didn't you put the IV here instead of here? The normal questions, yeah, but then being kind of all, why did you do that? And I wouldn't have done that, and I think you should have done this type of stuff. It took a while. Let's see, they showed up around a little after one AM. They didn't leave until maybe quarter of three ish. So kind of figured why it took a couple of hours for the team to get there in the first place, because I'm sure wherever they were beforehand, the whole thing had to be redone there as well. I remember trying to get a heel stick on a baby years ago and perfusion's crummy at first, especially if the baby's sick and cold and those the hands and the feet takes a bit. And we didn't have any kind of a central line in, so I was trying to get a heel stick on the baby and baby wasn't bleeding quick enough for the doctor that was on and he kind of looked at me and he said, do you want me to do that? I can get it. No, I'm good. I've, I've been doing this for a number of years and it's going to take a little time. So thank you for the offer, but I think we're good. My favorite one was being told by an intern how wrong I was when I questioned an order for weight-based medication on a baby. Now, I'm not a fan of the maths. If you know me, you know that I just, I don't like math. I never have. And nurse math is a different type of math from anything you'll ever learn, ever. When you're checking your orders to give a weight-based med, you really have to double, triple, quadruple check to make absolutely sure that you're giving the correct dosage because all hell could break loose and things can get very bad very quickly. So I went to the on-unit pharmacist with this one and she said, absolutely. She said, yeah, that's, that's you know, decimal points are important in medications when tiny humans are involved. So I went back to the intern to ask her to change the order, and I was given a pretty hard time. I was questioned for questioning, and why are you asking me? To, I This is correct. I did it correctly. And I said, actually, no, you didn't. And then the order needs to be changed. Got the change in the order and quite a bit of attitude. So I, middle of the night, I said, you know what? I'm I'm not. No, absolutely not. So I did what I normally wouldn't have done had things been like, oh, geez, I forgot the decimal point, whatever. The attitude was enough for me to find the covering MD and say, you know what, just so you know, this. And he said, he was like, oh, oh, okay. So the intern was taken to task and did come over and apologize later on. Didn't want to, but I said, hey, listen, I don't want you to get in trouble. 
if something were to happen and a that old good old decimal point wasn't in the right space, everyone's going to get in trouble. You're going to get in trouble, but guess who's going to get in trouble even more? Me. And I'd rather not lose my license. I work too damn hard to get it. And I know you're working really hard to, to get your MD. Get comfortable with it now and what you need to do. Well, I'm not going to be a neonatologist. I'm going to be a dermatologist. Oh, okay. That's great. But right now you're here and you got to do the right thing or ask if you're not sure. And you didn't think that seemed like an awful lot for a baby that's three and a half pounds? That particular thought to myself. But she was much more pleasant after that. And I think once or twice after with a medication, she said, okay, can you double check this for me? Sure. So it, it worked out and I hope she's doing well and has a very successful career. And I must say every once in a while, you get that intern that comes in to a teaching hospital first day on, brings coffee, muffins, fruit, maybe even candy, just to butter those nurses up. So if something does happen, we're a little kinder and gentler with the ego of the, the would-be doctor. But not. This kid was, I believe, from a family of doctors, so he knew. Be nice to your nurses. Don't question them too much. If you make a mistake, they're going to let you know. Take it with grace and a sense of humor, and all will be well, which is true. And speaking of humor, I've done a little bit more of my fun research that I like to do on this little podcast I have. And in researching the meaning of humor itself and as we know it, it's fun to see where all of this kind of stuff gets its start. So how do we get from the four humors in ancient Greek medicine to relating to the meaning of humor as it's known today? Well, I'm going to tell you. So the long and the short of it is, and I'll try to condense some of this stuff, way back at the dawn of time, there was ancient worship of gods and goddesses, as most of us know. And ill health was considered a punishment, that you did something wrong. And you'd give offerings to the gods and goddesses to, to help make you feel better. And sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't work because you had something going on. So enter the time of Hippocrates, which fourth century before Christ existed. He ended up shifting that focus from worshiping gods and goddesses outside of the realm of the body and brought it back to focus on the combination of philosophy, medicine, natural sciences, and how all of those collectively affect the body. According to Marie Christodoulou, who wrote a really great article called The Four Humors of Ancient Greek Medicine in April of 2020, she said, and I quote, sickness was no longer the result of a moral transgression, but was the result of imbalances in the body from a variety of factors, including diet, social class, environmental cleanliness, and the state of one's mental health. Unquote. That sounds familiar, right? We're doing all of that stuff now. And moral transgressions, speaking of those, laughter itself had a bad reputation throughout parts of history. In biblical times, laughter was associated with contempt on occasion. And we certainly can't forget all those wonderful Puritans in the late 1800s, early 1600s. If you were caught laughing out loud in public, you were assumed to be in cahoots with Satan himself, either by possession or as a witch. I'm sure no one was cracking jokes while tied to the stake, but can you imagine the reviews? Her jokes were on fire, literally. Sorry, again, again. Three-night stretch, not a lot of sleep in between, super bad jokes, my apologies. All right, I won't go down that rabbit hole, but okay, so four humors. 
refer to four predominant fluids in the body. Latin humorum means fluid. So you have blood, phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile. Each of these corresponded with an element, earth, air, fire, water, a season, winter, spring, summer, fall, a temperament, anger, happiness, melancholy, things like that, heat, cold, dry, wet, really cool if you want to take the time to kind of look at different charts that are out there of it. And it was this type of fluid-based medicine, so to speak, was practiced for over 2,500 years. Ever read Shakespeare's Julius Caesar? It's even in there, Middle Ages. Brutus says to Cassius, Must I give way and room to your rash choler? Shall I be frightened when a madman stares? Choler, by the way, refers to yellow bile. And if that was off, you had some anger management issues because it, refer it referred back to the element of fire, which is hot and dry. The thinking then was if the fluid balance in the body was disrupted, an excess of one or an insufficiency of another, it made you feel or act in a certain way. And if you were in good balance, that meant you were in good humor. From the 1800s on, as more and more was learned about the body and the pathways of disease were studied closer, the theory of the four humors was mainly debunked. But some physicians over the centuries found that if a patient was kept happy and laughing with family and friends, they healed quicker and they stayed healthy. Royalty, too, enjoyed laughter. Remember court jesters? Allegedly, Queen Elizabeth in the 16th century had a court jester that kept her in better health than her doctors did. So time marches on and the meaning of humor ran the gamut from an unbalanced personality to being an odd or peculiar person that deviated from social norms. Not that that's a bad thing. Personally speaking, of course. The term humorist came about in the 19th century as one who could amuse others. We've all heard of some of the more noted humorists, Mark Twain being one of them, Dorothy Parker, Art Buckwald, Irma Bombeck. Oh boy, who else? Louis Black. The list is huge. And of course, we still have the use of humor in medicine. Vera Robinson, a former army nurse and nurse educator, wrote a book called Humor and the Health Professions in 1970. She's also credited as helping develop one of the first community mental health centers in Denver, Colorado. And one of the things she's quoted as saying about the connection humor has to well-being is this, quote, if negative feelings can create illness, ulcers, elevated blood pressure, and arthritis, then positive feelings should promote health, unquote. What do you think? Do you agree? Let me know. Whether it's a comment, criticism, film review, favorite medic-splaining story, I would love to hear it. Get in touch with me, overnightobservations at gmail.com or go to overnightobservations.com and leave a little message. Hope all is well with you. Stay happy. Stay healthy. If you're here in the Northeast, stay warm and dry. And no matter where you are, try and find something to laugh about today. Take care. Ciao. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Overnight Observations, Diary of a Night Shift Nurse. If you've laughed a little or a lot and learned something in the process, I've done my job. For more respectfully irreverent humor and the scientific proof that it's actually good for you, subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget that a little bit of levity goes a long way to leaving some of the darkness behind. The sun always rises. Greet it with a grin. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.